Well, we're going to talk about Spartan athletics on this episode of MSU Today, but from the perspective of two MSU alumni who are journalists who cover Spartan athletics for Michigan's leading newspaper, Chris Solari does so for the Detroit Free Press, and Matt Charbonneau for the Detroit News. Thanks, you both, for coming in today. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate it, and I'm, I'm sure Matt appreciates it, too. Well, hey, look, anytime I get stuck in a room with this guy... Uh... <laughs> Fireworks can fly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> summer, normally I get a break from him, but well, here we are. I, that's right. <laughs> well, let me, Matt, I'll start sure. with you. Just sort of uh, what's your background from the time uh, you did graduate from MSU to now where you're covering MSU for the news? So you go with the older guy first, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was, yeah, I graduated from Michigan State. I know there's uh, maybe some people on social media who think otherwise. <laughs> um, 95, Chris and I overlapped, but here's we the funny did. thing. Chris, so I was here in 91 and 95. When were you here? Uh, ninety three to ninety nine. Okay, Boy, he took, took the long route. Hey, that yeah. I'm telling you, the state news slowed me down. <laughs> well, there's some other people like that, but um, <laughs> the funny thing is, I didn't know Chris at all when yeah. I was here. Um, that several people actually, because I wasn't in the cool state news cur- club. <laughs> anyway, it's a whole other <laughs> story. Um, no, so I graduated ninety five from here. I was I was originally going to be an English te- English teacher and coach high school baseball. So I've told Jake Boss he's leading my alternate life. That's amazing to me because, yeah. first of all, you barely have a grasp of the English language, and I've seen you play softball. See, so though. if anyone wants a glimpse of what it's like daily with us, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, no, I've told Jake he's living my alternate life, but somewhere in there I have i don't—I had a friend who was in journalism and said, hey, you should come to this job fair thing. And a week later I'm working at the Lansing State Journal answering phones in the sports department and covering high school games, and it pretty much – it never changed from there and uh, you know i've been at the and i've been at the news now since what 06 so uh started as an editor there and then in 2010 took over the michigan state beat i mean i was other places prior to that obviously oakland press flint journal places like that always in michigan yeah oh and of course my time at the lansing state journal can't, can't forget, forget that, that way back in the day yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i mean th- 13 years been covering this um, Michigan State, obviously, and let's see, it's 2016 for you, so only the last seven-ish years have been the real difficult ones. <laughs> I mean, to I'm be fair, I've been back since 06 and Lansing. Well, that's true. He's been around. Let me put it this way. In terms of being around every day, yeah, no, yes. obviously, I've known Chris longer than since 2016. Yes. But yeah. uh, Well, Chris, what yeah. about you? So when did you yeah. come and well, what's like your said, background? 93 to 99, I was here a long, long time, but a lot of it was, as I mentioned, I was uh, on the state news staff uh, from my second semester in 1990, early 1994, uh, got to cover football for Nick Saban's first year and went to become sports editor and an editor-in-chief of the state news in 1997. Uh, we won a few pacemakers during that time, which is the national award for top college newspaper. Uh, from there, I followed that same path to the Lansing State Journal, did the phones, did some MSU stuff there, high school games. And unlike Matt, I took the circuitous route back here <laughs> in that I my first job was in Strasburg, Virginia, uh, working at a small paper there with another uh, – former classmate and state news guy, Dave Burkett, who covers the Detroit Lions for us at the Free Press. Uh, We worked there as kind of almost like a two-man team for about six months, four of which without an editor. But he covered Virginia football. I covered Virginia Tech. And I drew the the good straw because I got to cover Michael Vick's first year and the first – and and the, the Virginia Tech run to the national championship game that year, then bounced to another paper in suburban D.C. for a little bit, covered some Redskins, also covered the Lions, one of their last playoff games uh, against the Redskins back in, I think it was either late 99 or early 2000. And then from there, bounced back here for a little bit to Lansing and then out to South Dakota at the Sioux Falls Argus Leader with a couple other st- MSU alums there. Uh, shout out to Stu Whitney, who was really kind of one of my big mentors there. He wrote a, a really incredible book on the MSU football program under George Perlis when he was finishing up his student here, but he's been out in South Dakota for a while. And I was there, covered South Dakota State, their move to Division One, and then came back to Lansing in 2006, 
was at the Lansing State Journal for 10 years, then took over for another State News alum, Joe Rexroad, at the Free Press in 2016. And Never heard since. of him. <laughs> Never heard of him. Yeah. He, Let, hold on, by the way. One of the, the I think the last Lions playoff game I actually did. Was it the 16 or the – whatever year they were in Dallas and got robbed. Oh, yeah, that's or right. 15 yeah, or, right yeah. in there. Because Michigan State was going to the – Cotton Bowl every yeah. stinking year. And you stay there for about two think, weeks, I think, from what I remember. It was a long time. But <laughs> let me just I just want to point out real quick, when I came back to the Michigan when I took over the Michigan State beat, the football team finally, you know, won a share of the Big Ten for the first time in twenty five years. So I like to think I brought that with me. Yes, and, and my first year was the two thousand sixteen season where they went yes. three and nine. So <laughs> let's be clear who's more important. I will ignore the fact that the basketball team was preseason number two and Barely made the NCAA tournament <laughs> and lost the first round. But whatever. It's all about football, right? That's, a, that's yeah. quite all right. Well, Chris, let me stay with you in sort of a two-part question. So why did you choose MSU to go to college? And sort of how did your time here impact you and, and help your yeah. career? Yeah. Well, it starts – and this is something that I've uh, – Matt kind of, as he alluded to, fell into it. This is something I've kind of wanted to do since I was about 12 years old. I grew up reading Sports Illustrated. Grew up reading, uh, you know, every sports page imaginable. I, I'm from the Pittsburgh area, so, you know, I, I, I like the joke that the Steelers didn't win a Super Bowl until I was born, uh, which is true. They won the first one right after I was born, so I know nothing but Steelers' success in, in my lifetime. But uh, I, I, in doing so, I, I, right around that time when I was 12, I, I watched uh, All the President's Men for the first time. And just really captivated me on the journalism side. Wait, how old were you when you watched all the presidents? About twelve. <laughs> For some reason, I just I get I'm, I'm laughing at the visual of twelve year old Chris watching all the presidents. Well, yeah. it and <laughs> totally tangentially, I was involved in a number in a number of academic games, but the one that I ah. I, I thrived in the most was Mr. President. Oh so, boy! So I had a lot of knowledge at that point about the Watergate scandals, but that gave you more of a the other side of it, the journalism of how it came to be, and it was enthralling. And, uh, you know, you as I went into junior high, I can, I can remember the first the first story I wrote for my junior high newspaper was about the smell of uh, burning leaves filling the crisp bottom air. Oh, my uh, goodness. And, and well, about, that doesn't draw you in. About the junior high football team, I mean, there's a little – hand-drawn graphic there of of the the goal post that someone did but that's kind of the path that i took and and i worked for my high school paper i worked for our local paper uh and there were a number of msu alums that have come from my hometown even though it's small but probably two of the most notable were the, the Saul brothers rich and ron who were all americans here uh my baseball coach was a gymnast here on the men's team and he put they had a number of Jim Kersey, who was an all-American gymnast in the mid '60s, also from our high school. So we had a good connection with Michigan State. And as I investigated journalism programs, one of the big things that was important to me was the accredited programs. And Michigan State's program was, you know, and it, we used to get uh, the booklet from Dow Jones that would tell you a lot about which programs were best, which programs had strong newspaper programs and the state news and michigan state's journalism program at that time was up at the top you know with northwesterns and missouri and syracuse it 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 struck me and i had visited the campus probably in 1986 when i was about probably about that same age around 12 13 years old and fell in love with the campus um it reminded me from where i grew up uh, uh a very a larger version of Slippery Rock, if that makes sense. Even though the school down the road likes to claim Slippery Rock, we were. Uh, Did they, you really just say school down the road? Yeah. You can say Michigan. I can say Michigan. That's allowed. Hey, Michigan might. I mean, I know we're on a Michigan State. They, but you know what? Building here, but, but you yeah. know what? The colors are the same, green and white, which is interesting too. All but, right. but that's that's really kind of the circuitous way, and then you know, knowing and investigating that. Oh, hey, this has the. This place has the largest college newspaper in a country. That meant something. And it it really, you know, throughout my career, being the editor-in-chief of the state news is something that, you know, not many people get to do. And at that level and that time of my life and at that time of where the newspaper industry was, it meant a lot. It never comes up at all ever now. 
it's not quite <laughs> we're not quite as bad as like the northwestern folks well that's true i mean it's not like the first or second thing we're going to tell you it might be the fifth or sixth <laughs> it's going to come up eventually well matt Sorry. what about you why did you choose msu nothing like chris's i hadn't been now well, i will say i grew up reading the paper because i was into sports so i Sat there and ate my cereal and read. For me, I read the Detroit Free Press and the Oakland Press because that's what came to our house. Ah, I see you didn't read the Detroit News. Hey, it took my parents a while. I was working at the news for like five years before they switched to the news. Uh, <laughs> I remember reading Mike Downey uh, was the columnist when I was growing up, and then he left to go to L.A. and some whippersnapper named Mitch Album showed up. <laughs> hey, like, a side guy? note for you. Yeah? Did you read uh, Jay Mariotti when he was in, in Detroit? No little known fact how old jay's parents are from butler and my cousin set them up just just so you know chris so is from butler that also yes. comes up yeah it's, that's about the often. second or third thing you learn yes um so no i mean i was obviously reading newspapers i wasn't you know i, I didn't have this dream of being a newspaper guy i thought i was going to be in the papers like most kids um but you know if we're going to name like okay who are the famous spartans from one so like kirk gibson i think people have heard who? of him yeah, yeah Gibby's a Gibby's a, a Waterford Kettering alum. Oh, the G- football player. Yeah, well, he was also a baseball player. Uh, Jim Miller, who also played both. I tell us people all the time, Jim Miller. You know how long he was in the NFL? Thirteen years or whatever. That's the gig to get, huh? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a starter for like a year or so, but he even he got a ring. Um, I tell people all the time he was a better baseball player than a football player when we were growing up, but he loved playing football so. I mean, I think it worked out all right for him. Yeah. Um, no, I was coming. Like I said, I was coming to Michigan State because I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be an English teacher, coach sports, whatever. And, and you know, Michigan State also has a good education program as well. Um, but I can't say there wasn't like I didn't do this big in-depth research. I mean, my sisters went here. I was kind of like, yeah, I, yeah, let's go to Michigan State. And same thing. I mean, the place is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it didn't and, seem to be the process back then as it is now no, for as much. we uh, yeah. Not for me, it wasn't. And right. then, But again, it was, you know, and, and it's not like I took a big leap from English to journalism. Um, but it really, was, it really was when I went to a, a job fair and then I met Bob Gross of the Lansing State Journal. Um, just talked about what they do. And I'm like, this is, I mean, I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't think of anything of the things I like to do. Like, there's, it's all coming together. Like, yeah. I like to write. Um, I love sports. Like, what's not to love about this? And a week later, I'm in there answering phones. And so I wasn't the journalism kid at 12. You're in a newsroom for a couple days, and you're hooked. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. that's there. You're like, well, this is clearly what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was no doubt at that point. So that's that's how I ended up here. You know, it wasn't um, – it's not as probably yeah. as – poetic or romantic as Chris is when he was 12 years old but um but you get yeah. the you give the in-state perspective where I come sure. from out of state and yeah. kind of see it from a little different bent. Well, yeah I mean I grew up you know everybody you know I'm like anybody else in this state it's you're either Michigan fans or Michigan State fans and so it's it's always been a part of my life yeah, yeah. you know it wasn't like I was hey I'm gonna go explore this school or that school and it wasn't you know something that was a part of me I mean, I've always it's always been a part of yeah. me. And, you know, it was mostly about, like for most people, it was about sports. Yeah. You know, which team are you rooting for? Right. And, um, you know, obviously, obviously in our house, we rooted for the proper team uh, <laughs> in green and white for the most part. I think my parents, my dad really started rooting for once because both my sisters went here as well. Once all his money started going to Michigan State, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm going to wear green and white. So, <laughs> do you? Fi- is it hard to, I mean, you've got to be Spartan fans at some point. Is it easy to set that aside and is it almost... Hard to root for them now when you're not working because you've set that aside so you know conscientiously. Yeah, that, that it can be difficult, but I, I, and again, I come from a little different place than Matt with this, mostly because I, I for a long time have just solely reserved my passion for the Steelers for my lone outlet for fandom, and it becomes. I know this is hard to believe. It becomes irrational at times. That's shocking. Um, shocking. So, I say. so when you, when you kind of grow up in that pro sports environment like Pittsburgh had, even though you were in Detroit, I mean, Penn State was three hours away. Pitt was good, so we kind of followed Pitt. My my uncle was a big Notre Dame fan because Terry Hanratty, again, was from our hometown. Uh, so there were a lot of different college aspects that were at play in my world. So you kind of 
it, you didn't. I, I didn't really get invested as much in college sports until I got to cover it. It was more of a broader overview. Interesting. Yeah. It's, Did you ever have any yeah. trouble separating? I, that? Um, I mean, you're, I you're a professional. Like you can do it, but yeah, I don't feel like I've had tr- trouble in, in that sense. And, and I've said this before. The bad thing about our job is it takes the sports fan out of yeah. you. Yeah. Um, that's why I keep that one right and I have and it doesn't always work I used to tell my bosses don't send me to any Tigers games don't have me feel because I wanted to have one just I want to be able to go to the ballpark you know have a beer yell and nump and not feel like someone's it hasn't always worked out I've already had to do some Tigers games this year but you you, it it does it honestly it takes the fan out of you because you you look at everything differently you look at things objectively and those sort of things and it's not exactly always what fans want to hear but it yeah, it's – I've always – the thing for me that I've always struggled with in terms of – I don't feel like I'm I'm rooting for Michigan State as I'm at work, but you get to know people. Yeah. And I think this is just normal. You, Whether it's a player you've gotten to know over four or five years or coaches and you see – and then you want good things for them, right? Yeah. And you see a guy – I remember I was two years in on the beat and Michigan State lost um, – they lost that first Big Ten championship game. And I remember feeling bad for some of the some of the guys – that you got to yeah. know and knew yeah. what they and how how much that meant and they didn't get it you know that's so you start feeling bad for those or you pull for those guys yeah that makes in, sense in that sense so it's not so much hey go green it's like i want these guys i know these guys work hard and this yeah. is a big deal to them cassius winston's a great example yeah. of that i mean you know a, a kid who you know we, i covered his his commitment ceremony at ud jesuit so you get yeah. to know him get to know his family at the very and i don't want to say the first stages because they built him to that point where he committed but before he even gets on campus you start to get to know these people a little bit more on a personal side rather than just you know transactional yeah. of here's what you did tonight here's what you got coming up and you, you kind of get their backstory a little bit and you see who they are and you know that it is i mean i think that's i think that goes in our industry across the board i mean you know the problem is when 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 people aren't able to put that aside if there's bad things to write down. right like I've known some people that I think are really good people that screwed up, but we can't. Yeah. I, I can't say, well, I'm not going to write this because I think he's an okay guy who made a mistake. It's still a still it's a still thing. news. Yeah. So I it's, mean, it's the argument that you hear with yeah. the Baseball Hall of Fame voting for the Baseball Writers of America is that people for many years would take personal vendettas against guys, even like Ted Williams, and they wouldn't vote them in because they had a grudge because they weren't nice to him. Or yeah, like but it's yeah. You know, I I could go on and on guys over the years where I'm like that guy was a pain in the neck. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't change what you have what to do. They, yeah, it doesn't change what they were able to do on a field or a court or off it for some guys. You know, it's just yeah is what it is. But yeah, you have you get more of a connection with the people as opposed to the institution or a team. Or, yeah, because I've you know guys that cover pro beach are the same way. It's not so much about I want the Tigers to do well, but man, this guy's worked hard and been through a lot and. Yeah, and and I think you know particularly we've dealt over the last decade or you know inside a decade of some bad things that have happened here, yeah. and I think the and how I've always tried to approach it, and I don't know how you feel, Matt, but being an alum and having come through here and having the background that the journalism program provided us you want to make sure you're doing things the right way. You want mm-hmm. your alma mater to be doing things the right way, and you want to hold them maybe sometimes to a higher standard. Yeah. And I think that sometimes gets conflicted when people say, oh, they're against them. No, it's it's entirely the opposite. You want things to be done above the board and in the best possible manner uh, for the university that you've spent a lot of money at. Yeah. I would say I would never, like... If I could go through and not write a one bad story for a whole year, I'd take it every year. I mean, I, I started out, like I said, I started in 2010 on this beat. Yeah. Things were great for about four or five years. And Came I remember there was a lot of stuff going on at Michigan. The Michigan beat writers would always be like, God, you guys got it, mate. You know, they're always writing something, a coach this or whatever. And at Michigan State for that time frame, everything was smooth sailing. And then I jumped then, on the beat in 2016. And then it really wasn't. You know, yeah. so it's like you, but those times I, I don't want to do those things, but we, 
we're not writing a PR pamphlet. Right. Yeah. You know, this isn't that's not what our role is. That's not what our job is. And you have to you have to do those things just as well as you do all the good things. Yeah. Because then I don't think you have any credibility. Some people might be mad at you. There's plenty of people mad at us. I don't know why they're mad at us. We didn't. But still, you have to do it the same way you would if you're writing about a national championship. You have to be just as professional and thorough and everything about all the other stuff we know is has gone on. And, and because we've have and you know our industry has become a lot younger. A lot yeah. faster than sorry some people would realize. These new people, I don't think follow oh, they, things. Yeah, they're they're not so, as concerned about okay. being <clears throat> being thorough and professional yeah. in everything. Well, I, along with so with all the younger audiences and I guess journalists that have come up, a lot in the last ten to fifteen years in our industry, there's been a big purge of institutional knowledge, and. You know where we came into the business and there would be guys in their late 60s early 70s who spent their lifetime know the ins and outs know every politician every athletic director every coach at every high school at every level um we our industry has lost a lot of that so matt and i because we overlap the past in michigan state where it wasn't so rosy you know when matt started here in the 90s there was the the DiBiagio and Perlis situation. Yeah. And then there was the Judd Heathcote situation when I came into college and then Tom Izzo took over and he went through his thing in the first couple of years. So having that historical base and knowledge, while some people might want to just glom on to the last 10 years, you have to know the institution's history. Yeah. And, and in that it's, it's now somewhat distant past, but when you've lived it and you've kind of covered it, it's still there and it still resonates. Yeah. Talking with Matt Charbonneau of the Detroit News, Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press, and you've kind of led me into the next topic, just sort of this crazy world of journalism, but sports journalism. How has it changed most over the years? And, Boy. you know, where where is it headed? <laughs> I, it is. I, I've thought of, we've talked about this too, like in our careers to see how much change there's been from the time we started to now. I mean, when I was first in school, for sure, there was, I remember vaguely hearing about this odd thing called the World Wide Web. You know, and by the time I left school, I think I have, I'm, I think I got an email. <laughs> you know, this is 95. And at that point, I've learned since then, the Detroit News was one of the first papers to have a website. And it was in 95. They were like the third paper yeah. to have a website. We went online you know, so we didn't, News in 96. Right. So you didn't, so we were, when we started, we were still in the world of, you have a deadline at night, it's going to come out in the paper in the morning. You know, maybe the TV guy scooped you for the 11 o'clock news, and that was about it, right? And in that time frame, we've gone, the changes, and I guess, I don't want to say innovation. Some things are great, some things are not so great. But it has changed so dramatically, or substantially, in the sense that the idea of writing for tomorrow doesn't exist anymore. Everything is immediate. And I think kind of going with what Chris said a little bit in that quest to always be you know right now sometimes the you know the real true journalism gets glossed over a little bit you know have you done everything you should have you really confirmed these things and and in my opinion you've we've created all these other websites you know fan sites really that that were born out of recruiting and that's fine I think there's absolutely a role to cover recruiting and be all that but what it has created is a fan journalism sort of thing where you're only going to tell you tell people how great everything is here, you know, and it's we're going to ignore the fact that maybe there's something bad happening, or negative. It doesn't have don't always have to be something as big as, you know, Larry Nassar or something like that. I just mean you know, maybe the team isn't quite as good as you said, or or those sort of things. That's all kind of getting pushed aside to where now people believe Chris and I, or say the guys at M Live, we should be doing the same thing. And I'm going to say Spartan Mag or whatever, and it's not because I'm being critical of Jim or any of those guys. I'm just it's an they've example. been around the longest. You know, wait, no, how come they're telling me this and you're saying this? You need to be. You guys aren't. We're bad at it because we're not just supporting supporting the team. I guess is the best phrase. You didn't used to see that when we first started. To see that to where it is now, it's kind of surprising. But people lump all of us in as the quote unquote media. Whereas Chris and I and M Live and, and Graham at the Lansing Church, we're doing we're doing traditional journalism. We're doing journalism. Those guys are doing something different. And again, I, that's fine. They 
I think there's a role for it and pe- people eat up recruiting and all that stuff and that's great but people need to understand we're not doing the same job there's sometimes we write the same stories but we're really not doing the same job and that has been the biggest change really I mean obviously the way you way you consume news you right. don't read a paper anymore but that's changed but that for us I think is the biggest thing yeah. that shifted and I think you know in in talking what you were saying about right now versus being right which I think yeah. is kind of something that goes along with that some of that on our end i, I think we, we when i mentioned about losing institutional knowledge in the editor chairs and really losing the volume of people that we had that used to look at things um that's gone by the wayside yeah. um, there used to be set deadlines so you could look at the paper at the end of the night and make sure one last atrocity check i mean who knows what a paper is right I mean, that's kind of what we're at at this point, too. So you have fewer eyes looking at things, fewer people that are kind of giving a critical historical perspective saying, hey, you might want to think about this, that or the other thing. But you also have, I think, with that immediacy, um, it it's changed what it really is, I think, because you see journalism playing out live. I mean, it's almost in, in some ways a live stream, mm-hmm. which it hasn't, you know, what would what you would get once a day, you'd spend 8, 10, 12 hours working on before that. Now you're seeing updates and updates and updates. Yeah. So it, it that's kind of been a big difference. And But I'll tell you, the, the one time that I mentioned, we went online at the State News in the summer of 1996. And it was a big deal because I, I, we were one of the first college papers to go online. And... The story, I won't mention anyone's name to protect the not-so-innocent. I want Joe Rexrow to be part of this he story. Was not, I don't know he if was he not is, but I want him He had actually not even started there, but there was a, we'll say, a senior editor who was celebrating their 21st birthday <laughs> in the middle of the summer, and the Olympic Park bombing happened in Atlanta. And being journalists, when you've been celebrating someone's birthday, it sobers you out pretty quickly and you it's time to get moving we got to do this luckily i was actually sick that day from uh the big 10 media days i must have had something bad to eat there sure we're gonna say <laughs> but i didn't drink so i ended up carting everybody around to back to the state news office when we were in student services building and we were trying to figure out how can we localize this well a few days earlier we had a picture of a, a guy who was an msu student at the time who was at the Olympics, and we had a front-page picture of him painted. He painted himself red, white, and blue at the Olympics. <laughs> we won't mention any names again, but we thought, well, we know that this person was there. Let's try and track down his his family and see if we can get a hold of him. Mind you, this is about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and we tracked down this person's parents, and they said, oh, yeah, this person was blown off their feet by the blast. He was in Olympic Park, and he's okay, and... Um, very Forrest Gumpian, by the way. Um, but um, so we had the story, um, I think it was around five or six in the morning. There were, there may have been some runs to the all-night McDonald's to get some food. We posted the story at statenews.com at about six in the morning. And all of us, after a long night, went to bed. Our phone started ringing about seven or eight in the morning from the AP in Detroit, a number of Detroit uh, newspapers and media outlets trying trying to ask if they could use and quote us and cite the story and that was the kind of the moment where I realized things have changed and we can actually now compete in the immediacy realm mm. with television and radio which we never could before that interesting yeah it's it, it, it's good and bad there's there's good like so yeah. many things right. I mean it, I think as I mentioned, the negatives of people kind of, you know, skirting the edges a little bit and, and to get things quicker. Because I, 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 my first story was in my first year on the football beat. I'm standing there listening to Mark D'Antonio on. He used to do like the Wednesday night or Thursday. He did a, he used to do like a Wednesday or Thursday night thing with us for like 10 minutes. And this was when Chris L. Rucker had yeah. gotten, had gotten arrested and was, because he had been on probation from that, that fight before and he got a DUI. So, mm-hmm. and this is this team's 8-0 going to Iowa. And Chris L. Rucker, you know, he, okay, broke probation. He's in, he's got to do his two days in the jail or whatever. And you're just figuring, okay, well, he's clearly not playing this week. And Mark D'Antonio tells us right there, oh, he's 
Yeah, he was released today and he was at practice. And so as I'm standing there, my this is how we operate now. My phone's in one hand, I'm listening to him, and I'm typing, this was early Twitter days, Yeah, I'm typing with my left thumb that Mark Danton, like Chris Ulrich has been reinstated. And then I hear people afterwards saying, I broke the story. I'm like, I didn't, I right. just typed faster with my thumb. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, to me, when I think broke the story, I'm like, you had something exclusive. And that's when yeah. I knew, to I me, that was the moment of this is, this is different than it used to be. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter was a whole different change than, yeah. Now than it's like, the, if you just type faster, now suddenly you're a guy breaking. It's like, eh, I don't, I don't yeah. know. You didn't really work hard for that, but yeah. okay. And what about the health of the news and free press? I mean, it's been a while since they've been printing every day and home delivering, yeah. but it, isn't there much more interaction online, but fewer in the paper? Is that sort of where we are? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of how everything is. I mean, we saw that at the Lansing State Journal from when I got back there in 2006 to when I left in 2016. And, you know, you think back to when the newspapers were robust. In fact, I was uh, in Saginaw on my way home on Father's Day, and picked up a copy of the Saginaw News, uh, which is an M Live product. And the woman at the counter said, "Oh, she's like, she said, I said, this is like here's the uh, here's this produced on Thursday, <laughs> because a lot of those big papers now are produced days in advance." Yeah. And she said, "Yeah, it's not as big as it used to be. It's not as as much stuff in there and that's that's kind of where everybody's gone um i don't think that's not of news or free press yeah, or no. M live yeah. issue I and mean, it gets around the country i mean unless you have a captive audience now mm-hmm. um and it, there are i mentioned about my hometown paper they've done basically their website has only been subscribers for as long as i've seen it and if you subscribe to the print version that's the only way you have access to some of the web stuff so you know, people have been trying to figure out a way to put the genie back in the bottle in a lot of ways after letting the news go for so long, uh, or our stories, our work. Um, I don't know how or if we can do that, but you're right. It is. It, it has shifted, and I think that, that's been a concerted shift mm-hmm. from a lot of the newspaper companies to try and figure out ways to monetize what we've right. lost with ad revenue over the years in the print cycle well i think back like i said when we first you first went online in 96 and 95 back then it was just people didn't know what to to make of it and it was just throw everything online well if it's in the paper throw it online to where people become conditioned how many times do we get a response on twitter about something you post you know you post a link to a story or whatever i can't read it it's behind a paywall well you wouldn't have been able to read it in the paper if you didn't buy the paper either yeah you know what i mean but we for years that's how we you clicked on something and read it, and now we're being. It's difficult to go back and say, "Hey, actually, I, I prefer not to give away our work for free." Most people don't, right? But we did for years. And the so that's ir- a difficult. The irony you- is more people are reading yeah. these days because of the web, but yet now more and more jobs are being lost because we haven't been able to figure out a way as an industry to go from these tangible print advertisements and yeah. Sunday papers with chock full of advertisements to battling not just the fact that we've put things online, but the fact that all those companies that we have partnered with over the years as advertisers have their own websites yeah. and their own direct reach to the community. And so, so much of it was local too. Things yeah. like you mentioned the Sunday paper, things like Craigslist killed and, the classifieds. It did. Yeah. Yeah. That, was a, that was a big. Job. That was a big knife in in newspapers. That was a huge one. The, the job like Indeed's and all those things yeah. now. Think about the Sunday paper before you would have sections just for employment. Yeah, right. Like that and that yeah. stuff paid the bills. Local advertising paid the bills. Now you, like, you, you we still have some ads, obviously for, you know, big companies, big box stores, that sort of thing. But if you're if you own like a local company, why are you gonna? Why would you advertise it? And you're certainly not gonna advertise on your page. You're gonna have your own page now because yeah. it doesn't help me to advertise on the news or free press and some guy and. You know, Tallahassee yeah. sees that I have a laundromat in and, Troy, and, and, you know. And, and, the, and, and the, the interesting thing is people think, well, journalism's dying. Yeah, Journalism's it, not dying. It's the revenue stream that was behind it that allowed you to pay 35 cents for a newspaper. So when people say now, well, geez, why is my Sunday paper, why is my Sunday Saginaw News $5? That's why. It's because right. a lot of that has gone by the wayside. It does take money to do good, deep investigative journalism and 
have the type of people who do have institutional knowledge on your staff. Otherwise, you do get regurgitated press releases. That's that's the difference. Yeah. You either pay for society, you know, this being an important thing in society, or you don't. Someone's got to. Yeah. Well, that's per- a long way of saying, I don't know about the yeah. health of the future. Right. It's, <laughs> it's kind of up in the air, but... Uh, well, Chris and Matt, let's uh, change the topic to what okay. you cover in general college athletics. Talk about change We're be and clearer, evolution. Even clear answers on this, yeah. huh? <laughs> and you know, we'll get to ask you to talk about NIL and the transfer part. But, but in general, again, while you've been doing it, and it just seems like the last couple of years more tumultuous than ever. But what's going on with college athletics? <laughs> what's going? I'll, I'll just sum it up yeah. real quick. For our industry. We had that, I think Twitter came online somewhere in about 2009. Plus we had, like in the mid-90s, was the web coming into play. It's been that seismic a shift since probably about 2020 for college athletics in a very, very condensed window. Yeah, Yeah, when you're talking, I mean, I feel like it started, we started moving there with expansion, right? And that was slowly kind of building through the 2000s. 2010s really i think when 11 when the big 10 this was obviously penn state way back when but you know when you got nebraska in 11 and then 14 was i I think you were starting to see slowly that move and then and then boom with nil everything happening the one-time transfer all that stuff happening at the same time has you know you had all the lawsuits against the ncaa were coming down all it was all happening and i i feel like we're just in this space of nobody really knows what direction we're, we're headed. And it, because it feels like the NCA has kind of backed off and said, well, fine, if this is how you're going to do it, do it. You know, are we really getting to these power conferences? Are they really going to break off from the NCA? I think there's still so much we don't know about where it's going. But it, Chris is right in the sense it's in this short period of time, it feels like college athletics has gotten flipped on its head and you don't know. I, I mean, when you've got guys you know signing a letter of intent one day and two weeks later they're in the yeah. transfer portal like yeah. that i would have never imagined we'd be in that position like i'm if people want to make money let them make money i don't care um you know some the the cynics will say kids were getting paid anyway um now it's allegedly above board um allegedly yeah allegedly but it's we'll see what the irs says about that yeah there's just there's so much in and i think it's still changing every year we have oh wait no now we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that you look at it now and you're like there's so little regulation over what's happening you feel like it can't possibly keep going like this right because you don't to me the idea of college sports is you get to know your team know your players you know and we're that that's not that's not the case anymore. I, they, these guys know I'm a big softball nut because my daughter plays, but yeah. Oklahoma just won the yeah. national title, and their sophomore pitcher wins the title. She's like All-American, and two days later says, I'm out. And she's go. I mean, the, you understand why. She's from Nebraska and wants to go back to Nebraska and all that, but you're like, when in the world would a, would a sophomore star of the team that just won a national title a week later say I'm transferring? I mean, that – it's just think of Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Yeah, wins and he's got another year and says I'm going to go do it at uh, I don't know Alabama. Yeah, but that's happening now. That's becoming the norm, and I I think that's hard for to me. It's my idea of college sports is that's what is going to start eroding at yeah. that sort of stuff yeah. where you don't feel like you have any. I don't have any, I don't have, I don't know the identity of this team. I don't know who these kids are. You know, and it gets more expensive to go to games and all. I think that all's contributing to. I don't know. To me, college sports are in a precarious place right now. Yeah. Is it television sports? I mean, that's kind of what yeah. I said. I I want to stop calling it college sports and start calling it TV sports. Because quite honestly, you've seen now the Big Ten. Um, I believe there the, there's other places that have, have gone and made their top executives no longer sports-based. They're now TV-based TV executives, people. yeah. And, you know, the leadership in college sports has taken that path of sports and enter- of television and entertainment, um, which is why you see a lot of crazy game times and crazy days and playing every day of the week to fill programming mm-hmm. books. Well, that's, that's inherently unfair in some ways to college athletes, right? But now when you start giving them money, whether it be from a name-image-likeness deal, a collective, whatever it is, Colleges don't want to say it, 
but they're employees. Mm -hmm. It is pay for play. Um, you know, and I think there's a fatigue right now with the, the amount of changes in such a short window that has really staggered the fan bases in a lot of schools and disillusioned them. Um, when guys will be on campus for a year or two and take off to the next venture for whatever reason it is. And I do think that one of the, and, and Tom Izzo likes to use the phrase unintended consequences. I think in this last cycle with the transfer portal, because these guys now, and, and women now have agents um, representing them for name image likeness deals, they're not unionized, they don't have contracts, so the portal's being used as a negotiating tool. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't think anyone foresaw coming uh, in the NCAA leadership that that allowed it, particularly after adding the one-time transfer in there. I mean, it's – but on the kid's side and on their agent side, if you're an agent worth your salt, you want to maximize your negotiations. So what do you have to negotiate? You and your your ability what, – what do coaches say? Um your best of ava- your best ability is availability. Yeah. Yep. If you're if you if you threaten to go in the portal, you're no longer available. So now your demand goes up. So it's it, it, there's a lot of course correcting that's going to be happening mm-hmm. in the next. I, I mean, it's happened in the last five years, and it's probably going to be at least another five to ten years before it smooths out. But it really right now is pay for play, and it's it, it it's it's not to me it's not a sustainable model. Something's got to change, whether it be professional aspect and making college athletes paid employees, and then there's a whole other can of worms with, with you know, benefits and all the the costs that would come with that, and who would pay them, um, or do you try and get them away from the NIL collectives? I don't know. I mean, there's I, I talk to my bosses about this, and I feel like even on our end what do we cover what's the important things to cover right now because in the in the pro realm you can cover contract negotiations in the off season you can do all this stuff this is going on year round for college sports and mm-hmm. i feel bad for the guys like tom Izzo and the coaches and that's hard to that it's hard and funny to say when guys are making millions and millions of dollars but they're making those millions of dollars based on a model that was stable now it's completely unstable and every day you run the risk of losing your roster or your top player or players on your roster um, with no recourse to bring them, bring anyone back in because you don't have a pre-agency technically. So it, it is, it, it's fascinating. Well, the other thing with professional sports is you sign a contract. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I sign a guy to a three-year contract. I'm not worried about it for three years. Right. Yep. And college sports right now, you've got about a five-minute contract yeah. and I'm being – Sarcastic because there isn't one. Well, I mean, Michigan could, State added a defensive yeah. back who, uh, who he, I, he transferred to Miami in the off season. Never played. Never played there. Went through spring practice and now transferred to Michigan State. Well, I mean, they had one last year with Ken Talley from Penn State. Went to preseason camp yeah. for two weeks, bailed and transferred here. It's there's no, you never stop. And I've I know I've heard coaches like their their schedules have been tough for years. Sure, but now you cannot afford to not be working every single day and ask every one of these coaches, whether they're on the record or just talking, the toughest thing they're doing now is recruiting their own roster. Yep. You never stop recruiting a guy. He signs at the letter of intent. used to be like, okay, we're good. And nope. like I've heard Tom tell you guys, yeah. what we don't hear about is the people who enter the portal that don't get another offer. Yes. And then what did they that's do? The re- that's maybe more of them than. And that's a disappointing thing a little bit with the NCAA has done. It used to be when they, when they first started the portal, you could get access to this thing if you knew a coach or whatever. Oh yeah, here's my law. Now it's they've made it tougher. I don't understand why to see the see the portal. Yeah. Who's in it? Who's not? And then you would like I, when it was first a thing. I'd look. I'm like, there's there's like twelve thousand three hundred whatever football players in this yeah. thing. There's no way they all find a home. And Tom has always said that. You guys do that story. Do and it's. It's a great idea. He's right. <laughs> this this is a good story. It. It's hard to find. First of all, you got to find anecdotal parts of it. Hey, I'm a kid who went in and ended up nowhere. We can find enough of those, but the, getting the real numbers of what percentage of kids in every sport go in the portal and end up nowhere, I feel like it's a lot higher number than people would guess. And that's the downside of this. And, and Tom talks about it all yeah. the time. He says, what's best yeah. for the kids? 
He goes, that's, he goes, if you're telling me right now that this setup is the best for them, then I'm in. Yeah. He's like, I don't think it is, but that's what should, would drive this whole thing. What's best for yeah. them. And, and it's not always just, Hey, go wherever you want, get paid whatever you want. That's not always what's best. There might be a kid here and there that it's best yeah. for, but it's not for everybody. And that lack of transparency also carries over into the name image likeness situation where guys are making money, but no one really knows how much. Yeah. No one knows if if guys are making as much as they openly claim or if they're making more than they openly claim or even if they're making more off the books that isn't going to get taxed. I mean, it's it that's part of the Wild West as well. I mean, yeah, where, yeah. where, you know, and, and I do think, though, that, you know, the portal stuff, all this stuff ties together. Yeah. I mean, uh, the portal stuff, the NIL, mm-hmm. the transfer rules, I mean – well, yeah, it, if one, it, in if some one ways, is, it's like yeah. a vortex where it's swirling downward. Yeah. If one or the other didn't exist, if it was just the transfer rule was now a thing, but NIL didn't exist, it'd probably be fine. But now you're seeing guys jump in it because of NIL. You know, and, and it... It just seems like there needs to be some guardrails at some point, and I don't know if you have some thoughts on what they should be. Because, like, yeah. two things can be true. We can want the kids to get yeah. everything they yes. deserve, but... It does sure. ruin your it, fandom look, a little bit when you don't know who's going to yeah. be on the team. Unintended, and for some, unintended consequences. And for I mean, some kids transferring, that it, that is the best move. That's what Tom's right. saying. It's not a, His critics are people recruiting against him will say, you're just trying to keep guys. No, that's about, for a guy like Pierre Brooks, probably the best move was to right. transfer. Right? And there's been other guys down the road like that, that, yeah, that's was, this was the best move. Other guys probably hasn't been. You know, I can go back in basketball, just think of guys like Brandon Kearney back yep. 10 years ago or yep. whatever it was. What what the what in the world was he transferring for? You know what I mean. So it's you see it just in Michigan State, just in one program, Michigan State. You see the examples of both, and obviously Brandon was before yeah, the yeah. portal. Stuff but even or you the look tra- at but, a guy like Keon Coleman, uh, you know, if the the rumors are out there that there was a better NIL package, right? So you can't fault a guy for that now, right? right I mean, how are you supposed to now? But we how are you know. supposed to say to that kid? No, no, don't do that. Stay it's, here. Now it might be better for his career long term. But it's tough to convince a twenty-year-old yeah. dad or twenty-one-year-old dad, and that's where because that what, money, because that money, which some people would say isn't life-changing, sometimes is. Yeah, maybe for him it was, but that's what we're saying. Those things, if nil doesn't exist, maybe Keon Coleman's still playing here right now. And again, some of this is speculation. I don't want to act like right. to tell people I know the whole story with Keon right. Coleman, but that's he's just one example. We're seeing it all the time. Like, what what do you do to fix this? I'm not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my no, I, because it's still almost in the yeah. It's it's in almost the, like in, you initial need, stages right? yeah, where you, it hasn't even I mean, shaken look at out. Hunter yeah. Dickinson. I mean, yeah. you're talking about a guy that has openly said on his podcast stuff that he's going to make multiple millions of dollars. He said that. We don't know that for certain. And if he is, how do you tell him no? Right. Right. <laughs> and again, it's again, it's different for every circumstance. Yeah. I mean, he's the kind of guy that we know in the NBA. That's not what the NBA is right. looking for right now. And if he can do this in college, why wouldn't he? And if he can't get it at Michigan, who are we to tell him not to to go? And it, it's, it's such is, a tough spot because, I yeah, feel like, then you think yeah. of a fan. And the thing is what and you're college, like, oh, well, this is no good because now I don't have, like, my team stinks now, yeah. you know, or and I've invested in this promised kid. kids, especially athletes, is a lifetime of education, right? You yeah. know, your education that you get in college is going to last with you for the entirety of, of your life. Yeah. The problem is their athletic life is a much shorter window. Yeah. And if you aren't cashing in now, you aren't cashing in at 40 years old or 48 years old like some of us. <laughs> I know where that's going. Well, yeah, I feel for guys like Alan Haller trying to figure all this out. Does any of this have any particular challenges or opportunities for Spartan athletics that you see? Or just everybody's kind of facing the same things and trying to figure this all out? Well, I think that our my partner Steve uh, Berkowitz at USA Today, um, he did a, a piece on he does his annual look at where the state of college athletics is, and I think Michigan State was eleventh or twelfth on his list in terms of of revenue. So there's clear and Michigan State up until you know this last cycle, people thought was ahead of the curve in a lot of the things with name, image, and likeness. Um, and I think that's, but you've seen that with some of those schools that like Miami, for instance, Miami was the one that was kind of the f- trailblazer in a lot of things. They lose some invest investors really what it is now. They're not donors anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and now all of a sudden you, you start hearing less and less about them. So, I, you know, there's going to be course correction. I mean, are, is it going to be the Ohio State's, Alabama's, Michigan's of the world continuing to rule based on historic status and all that? I don't know. I mean, but a, a school like Michigan State, by being ahead of it and trying to, in some ways, I think, shape it, it, it that's a good thing. But it's hard to say how much that's even going to matter in two to three years with how wildly it's, mm-hmm. it's fluctuated now. Yeah, because who? How are these kids kids getting paid? Who's paying them? Right. All those things. I mean, we just saw Matt Ishbia have to end his yeah his whole NIL deal well, because they, of oh, when, you know when buying the Austin the Suns, case so. came down. Everyone you know, and, and they, the NCAA didn't act, and they had all this time to act. Um, they said, "Okay, open up for the wild," and the states themselves kind of took it upon themselves yeah. to basically write the NCAA out of the equation with yeah. a lot of the laws if you go and look at things. Mm-hmm. So the NCAA in a lot of ways has been rendered toothless by state state governments. Uh, so what's going to be next? I mean, you know, but nobody saw the name, image, and likeness. They thought, well, that's just going to be allowing them to go and do advertisements for local car dealerships and all these other things. What they didn't see is, and the unintended consequence is the collectives, yeah. where donors are pulling bi- millions of dollars together to basically bid on high school athletes and college transfers. And that's, you know, I, you know, Michigan State has a couple of those. Michigan has a couple of those. Most Power Five schools have all yeah. these, these resources. But it's also out of the athletic department's purview. So... There's a, I talked with uh, Big Ten Commissioner, new Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, at his introductory press conference, and that was one of the things that he said is even the administrators have a lack of transparency on a lot of those things. So that's something that, you know, until you can kind of get a better idea of how much money's flowing, um, all these things that, that are lacking guide rails – I don't know it, where you can say or how you can say Michigan State or any other school will be better or worse positioned yeah. in this. Yeah, and what happens when a lot of these people I talk to think we're eventually going to move to some sort of revenue sharing, but you re- you referenced it a little bit earlier. You start doing that, then you really are an employee. Yeah, and then who's you know? paying the benefits? Yeah. Who's, who's paying the medical costs? Who's doing all the things that – who's going to give 401Ks? Who's going to give <laughs> – all these different things Man. that yeah. unintended consequences yeah. that if you look at a regular employer, what they provide for be- for benefits to their employees would come to college athletics. Yeah. Well, Back to the day when you thought you'd just get a college scholarship <laughs> and go to school, right? Yeah. yeah. How naive of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, Be a teacher and a coach. So before so, I let you guys go, yeah. appreciate all this insight. Just I, if there's such a thing as an off-season, just what are your kind of general thoughts of both the football and basketball seasons coming up? Well, I mean, I think with basketball is the easy one. Yeah. I mean, everyone is – I mean, clearly it's going to be a top-five team preseason. Yeah. But as I referenced uh, in my history here, my first year covering the beat, they were a preseason number two coming off a back-to-back Final Fours. It was a no-brainer, right? And that season was a disaster. What I will say is different with this team. We'll see how the freshmen kind of integrate into everything, but – these, I want to say, Tom, is those teams over the last, gosh, eight, nine, ten years, the the connected connectiveness, connected connectivity. Yeah, I was going to say that, but there, there, there's a there's a much better uh, atmosphere in the locker room these days. That you know, I think back to that team I was referencing in ten, eleven. It it just didn't exist. That was not there. There was a divide. You know how that and goes that was in a, a team lot. Coming off two final fours. Two final fours. You're right, and it was not great. Um, and that stuff matters. I mean, we've yeah. seen it in football locker rooms after they had their run in. You know, you you mentioned coming out at 16 when they're three and nine. Well, that locker room is a mess. Yeah. So there's not a it's not a real stretch there to see. Hey, there's a correlation. That's why I say, assuming the freshmen come in and it, I'm going to assume that it's going to go pretty seamless. They've got, they've got a good locker room. They've got that togetherness. They've got the guys. They've got the guard play. This should be a team that they're going to be ranked high, and they're probably going to deliver on it. Now, what that means? Are they going to win the national title? I don't know. Yeah. What I'm saying is they're going to be a factor all season long, barring crazy injuries or of whatever. Course. Knock on wood, and cause or someone else that. loading up on transfers to create a mega team like. But the I think at Miami this point Heat. we kind of know. 
I think right yeah. now we got a pretty good idea of what the Big Ten's going to look like yeah. and, and the top teams. So obviously the basketball team is in really good shape. The, the expectations clearly are high. Um, so, yeah, I think people are fired up about that football. I, I think Football, I think people are fo- waiting for basketball season. Yeah, but, but I, I, I do don't think, know if it's that. No, I, I don't like, think so either. I think there's a yeah. lot of question marks. I mean, you lose your yeah. starting quarterback and top wide receiver. You've struggled in the run game last year. You've you've have a lot of inexperience on the offensive line. Your defense has been pretty porous, even when they did win eleven games. I mean, they had some struggles defensively, mighty struggles, and they haven't fixed them yet. So, I think there's a lot of questions, and I think you also look at, you know, what you're talking about three years of of Mel Tucker and not really knowing what his identity of his program is yet versus almost 30 years now of Tom Izzo and right. pretty much knowing <laughs> what, what you're going to get on a consistent basis. So I, I think it's going to be a fascinating football season. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be a good football season. I, I will mean, say this be... though. I feel like, I feel like the, say the, you know, the dooms, you know, every the sky's falling sort of people I think are going a little bit far as, as far as some of the people that say, Hey, we're going to win a national title next year. That's nonsense too. Yes. <laughs> but I think when you, when you look past some of the things that are big, like losing your starting quarterback is not ideal. No. Um, losing key at your top receivers, not ideal. But I think if you've watched over his three, four, three ish plus whatever he's at now, and he started in the middle of a pandemic. So I know we 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 a lot of times say ah that first year doesn't count even though Mel doesn't yeah. like to say that. <laughs> I think you've seen steadily the recruiting still is slowly getting better each year. I know they've they've had people decommit and all those sort of things, and you get a bunch of five stars on campus and you don't get them. But still, I think overall the recruiting has steadily been getting better. I th- the questions you have, as Chris mentioned, are legitimate. You wonder can they be better up front offensively. I, I have a feeling that that's what they're moving toward. They've got a lot of young guys I think are going to start contributing there. They did get some veterans back that are going to matter, but I think you're going to see some steady improvement there. I think defensively they've added guys. In late last season, you yeah. saw the defense get a little bit better. You start getting more of a pass rush. It's going to get a little bit better. Again, it might not be the 11 wins that fans are hoping yeah. for, and you might have some struggles at quarterback. That's a reality. You're going to be playing somebody who's hardly played. Yep. Whether it's Noah Kim or Kate House or whoever, so they're gonna have growing pains, right? Yeah. They're gonna do, they're gonna screw stuff up, just like <laughs> any young quarterback. You know, the question is, does it cost you games? How many games does it cost you? Those sort of things, all in the in the kind of the the overall goal goal of the program still moving in the right direction. I still feel like it is. Now, if we come out this fall and we see a team that can't run the ball at all, you're not seeing any of these young guys make any progress, and they're winning three, four games, then I think it's fair to say. Where's this thing going? Yeah, but I, I to do that before this season, I think, yeah. isn't right. But I, I feel like there's enough things on the surface of what we're looking at now to think you you could see it starting to turn around. And, and Chris is right; I think it's going to be fascinating. That's that's yeah. a perfect. I mean, it's we're going to learn. I think in this year whether you're really all in on Mel Tucker or you're starting to wonder. Yeah. Uh oh, I don't know if we made the right call, and that might not be fair to him, but that's. I mean, it's kind of the reality of sports yeah. now, right? Yeah. But it's I, the I think it's immediacy factor. It is. Everything comes into it. And it doesn't have to be wins and losses. I, I'm not saying you're only judging this season on they have to have X wins, and that's, that's you know, people will say, how many wins do you have to have to be as, eh, I don't believe that. Yes, you want to win as many games, but I'm, if, if you have an eight win, nine win season, and you won four games on lucky plays, and you're still not running the ball well and can't stop anybody. Do you feel like your season was that much better? Or if you win four or five games, but you're in position every game to win, yeah. you're seeing those numbers go up, you're seeing the averages go up, you're seeing young guys contribute. I, I say to me that would be more successful because you're feeling like I'm seeing this thing getting better and going in the right direction. It's, it's very much like going into the 2021 season, but from a different perspective in that you looked at that season and you said, how is Mel Tucker going to make all these transfers work and blend them in and basically have 55% roster changeover from the previous year to to have a success? Well, they won 11 games. This is different because a lot of those players are coming from inside the program now, and they're young, they're untested, so you aren't going to know until you see them. And it doesn't matter how many stars they had in high school, whether they had five, four, one, none, um, there has to be cohesion with it. There, that's the biggest, biggest thing is there has to be 
cohesion with whatever their talent is. If you can have all the talent in the world and go three and nine, um, you can have a team that doesn't have much talent and win ten games. Um, that's why I think it's fascinating. I think it's, but I agree with Matt in that I do think that we're also not talking about year two. Now you're talking about year four, three and a half, however you want to look at it. Um, this is more of a trajectory building type of year. Yeah, and it's going yeah. to be, it's a pivot point in a lot of ways. Yeah, you absolutely want to see continued progress. And if you don't, that's, that starts to be concerning yes. four years in. Thanks a lot, no. guys. Appreciate the insight. All right. Anytime. Guys. That's Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press, Matt Charbonneau of the Detroit News, both MSU alumni who cover Michigan State sports for Detroit's leading newspapers. And uh, I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.